Hi, this is Brenda Tremblay from WXXI in Rochester, New York. If the only Bobby McFerrin song you know is Don't Worry, Be Happy, you're missing out on a lot. Take a listen. Imagine having the chance to sing for Bobby McFerrin in an audition. That happened to my guest, Judy Venar, who has become one of Bobby's most valued collaborators. You'll hear the story of the audition and how his talent has encouraged her to explore the full range of the human voice, not only for herself, but for her students. But first, Judy Venar remembers the first time she saw Bobby McFerrin on TV back in the 1980s, earning a Grammy Award. My impression was, uh, this is astounding. <laughs> and so I sort of dug in and I bought his solo CDs and um, started just really just exploring the whole concept of being able to sing those kind of intervals, being able to stand on a stage by yourself and cover what normally takes a drummer, bass player, you know, guitarist or a pianist, etc. And I was, you know, completely blown away by him. So, so began my, my study of Bobby McFerrin from afar. And then uh, meeting him the first time, he was very focused. Uh, he has this, uh, pardon the use of the term, aura about him that sort of is so very focused on its own that you sort of rise to meet it. And I spent my first audition with him, I spent 15 minutes in a beautiful church in Minneapolis where he would just ask me to try something and I would do it and we would sing together. And it was a blast. (laughs) And you were classically trained? Yeah, I have a degree in classical voice performance from the University of Nebraska. Um, And basically, I don't really sing classical music, but holiday time when all the other sopranos are busy, um, I'll sing some of the classic stuff at Easter or Christmas. But otherwise, I'm more of a pop singer. Looking at your bio and um, listening to you on your website, Judy, I understand you can pretty much sing anything, uh, you know, uh, jazz, pop music, gospel, Broadway. Uh, You're teaching, too. It looks like you have a really successful uh, career as a teacher and a coach. And I'm wondering uh, where that kind of spirit of versatility comes from, because a lot of classical musicians I know are so uber-focused on being faithful to what's on the page. Like, where did that versatility come from in you? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I, I'm the youngest of seven kids, and I grew up listening to all kinds of music, anything from Julie Andrews to um, Blood, Sweat, and Tears to Tom Jones. To, you know, It was just quite a variety in my house. And, of course, in that generation, people were listening to music, I think, in their homes a lot more. So I was just sponging up all these different things. And I think that's where my love for the variety started very early. And then the classical training, I was really, really thrilled to have the training. But I don't believe that my bones were saying, let's be a classical musician for the rest of our lives. And um, my teacher knew that he he and I had a wonderful relationship, and we were like, "Well, this is where we are right now, and I love this kind of music for its own sake. I enjoyed French art song tremendously um and so we dug in and got really it was an incredibly valuable four years um 
but I just never did believe that staying on the page was the idea. I always think of the sheet as a guide, not a rule book. Um, and I know I did have to dot my I's and cross my T's during college. Um, but, you know, I think we all know Mozart and Bach were improvisers. So, <laughs> you know, maybe that was my silent permission to play around with music. The first time I had to improvise on stage was a purely out of necessity because I was playing folk music, uh, singing, singing and playing guitar, doing the you know little folky from Muskogee gig, and it was just me. And I was not a fantastic guitarist. I um, only played rhythm guitar. So if you're only singing the melody, then what happens is you end up having to sing something like 80 songs in a four-hour gig. So I started making stuff up to stretch the song. I would sing the, sing the tune, and I would maybe improvise over a verse or a chorus and then come back and repeat the last verse and chorus. So I was stretching, um, and I was just making it up. So that was my first impression of improvisation. Well, for our audience members who are listeners who have not ever been to a Bobby McFerrin concert, what are they like? What happens? They are completely designed in the moment. So Bobby likes to say we walk in empty and we leave full. Um, we have a prayer circle before we go on stage and we go in and it's usually Bobby that starts unless he wants some help from Dave on percussion or what have you. And he just starts to make stuff up and he creates these patterns. Uh, eventually all of us are joining in. So uh, sometimes we call it song catching, meaning whatever's in the air, we're going to turn it into something and we're going to build on it and create it and then we're going to set it free and be done and go to the next song. So it's completely improvised uh, from the beginning to the end and the audience is often involved. Um, and in fact, we will also have um, uh, singers from the Eastman School and I believe the local community, I can't, oh, I know there's another group coming along as well. Well, it's a, um, it happens to be the be beginning of the American Choral Directors Association Conference. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's the ACDA. So there are going to be right. a lot of fans in the audience for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I read an article, yeah. I think in a Twin Cities newspaper, and uh, Bobby said something like, we graduated from MSU making stuff up, or, you know, like there's yep. that spirit mm -hmm. of improvisation. It must be a lot of fun. <laughs> It is a lot of fun, and, and actually it's one of the greatest ways to study music. Um, you know, if you spend a little bit of time every day just making stuff up, you're really tapping into your creative self. You're, you're giving that creative part of yourself a moment, you know, a moment on stage, so to speak. And you'll discover things that you never knew you had inside of you. And, and it's pretty natural for any musician, once that happens, to want to dig deeper and find out more about that. For example, if I'm doing circle songs, if, uh, if I do a day of circle songs at a workshop or something. Wait, what are circle songs? I'm so, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, that's kind of the same as catching songs. Okay. So we the, the official term is circle songs, um, but that's where a leader comes up with uh, an idea. They improvise until they find a part that repeats itself. And they feed that part to maybe one section of the group, the singing circle. And then on that part, <clears throat> pardon me, and then once they have somebody singing that part, then they improvise on top of the part. 
So it's the it's like building in the sandbox essentially, and they'll come up with a second part that complements the first part. Until there's sometimes four and sometimes six. It depends on the tune, but there's some, several parts going on at the same time, and sometimes there's room to continue to improvise, and sometimes there isn't. We just start playing around with the parts as they exist. Bobby will conduct us in and out of the parts so that there's more texture in the piece or there's room for improvisation. It's, it's just, it's, it's essentially composition in the moment. Um, and we stand in a circle when we can, we, we don't on stage, for example, we won't at Eastman. Um, but when we're in a workshop, we actually do stand in a circle that way we can all enjoy hearing all the parts at the same time. It's really delightful. How do you get the audience involved in that? Oh, it's simple. It's almost as if they can't wait to be asked. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You just, you know, Bobby, again, his focus is so high. He's so clear. He barely has to move a muscle to get people to respond, um, which I love about him. And so he'll probably start with some call and response. He'll probably come up with an idea and give it to the audience and they'll feed it back. And that just opens the door to a lot of stuff. Um, uh, several times, the rest of us on the stage will also ask the audience to participate as well. It's just really a playground for making music in the moment. It sounds like uh, just an incredible experience. Now, you are a coach, a voice coach, a teacher, uh, and you have been uh, working with students even on Skype. And I'm wondering, um, this is a poorly formed question, but people are so fraught about their voices. It's such a personal thing. A lot of people feel very inhibited. You hear people say all the time, I can't sing, I can't sing. Uh, how do mm-hmm. you work with someone that has all those uh, kind of naturally organic inhibitions? Well, that's that's a really, that was a very well-formed question. <laughs> um, what I've discovered over the years, I've been teaching um, for, I don't know, 30-some years, and what I've learned is my job is basically to remove elements of what people are doing more than to build on top of it. In other words, as, we, um, as a singer starts singing, they're also listening to feedback or they have goals, they want to sound like this or they don't want to sound like that. Um, you know, they, they want to be able to do one thing and they want to stop doing something else. So they have this little folder in their brain that just fills up with messages. And it's my job to get in there and break that folder down <laughs> and, and remind them that they have this beautiful instrument that's just them. And all of the things that we want to do to make music are musical choices. It's not muscle choices. So, um, what, but, the, but the truth of the matter is that, you know, pe- most people want to sing. Um, I haven't met very many people who literally didn't want to unless they thought they couldn't and they were afraid to. And so I consider it a partnership and a journey that we walk together. And I always find something, almost always find something that I particularly love about an individual's voice. And so we take it from the good side. We start with the good stuff and we go from there. And Um, the biggest job is to basically allow them to feel and hear what it sounds like without all of those judgments that, you know, are in their brain to release some of that stuff and just feel the vibration of the body while you're singing. Um, I have a, I have a very new, (laughs) a new method that I'm exploring. 
um, if you're a singer listening to this, you've heard the the term sing out or project. You hear it all the time from directors and coaches. And what I've discovered is the opposite really works better. And so I'm trying to get people to understand that it's time to sing in, to trust that the body is your instrument and that the inside of your body is where it's resonating. And if you stay there, you can let go of an awful lot of unnecessary muscle work and so forth and you can start to feel the actual vibration of your voice while you're singing and it's joyful it's it's really a wonderful feeling and what that does is rather than projecting at a listener it invites the listener to make a choice come come and be here and be with me and share this music i'm not going to chase you down <laughs> you know and i'm finding Great success with that. My singers are really, really enjoying that process. So I'm not sure if I answered the question, but I sure went off on a tangent. (laughs) No, I was going to ask you actually about, uh, you know, your mind-body-spirit connection and your teaching that you make reference to on your website. I was wondering what that was about, and that sounds like that's what that's about. Very much so. Yeah. What what have you learned uh, working with Bobby McFerrin? What have you learned about yourself? Well, I... from the get-go, actually, and this is a lot about teaching, but it's also about my own ability to sing or developing my own um, skills. When I first heard Bobby do a solo piece, you know, a lot of what he does are jumps in the accompaniment. He does a bass note, and then he'll add a color note maybe on top, and then he somehow fits the melody inside of that. These are at least octaves, sometimes octave and a half, sometimes two octave jumps. And that was one thing that I thought, well, he's doing that all the time and it sounds so easy. Why aren't we doing that? Why isn't that exercise part of the regular vocal curriculum? And so I started building exercises kind of with that in mind. I sort of let go of the old traditional ma kind of exercise and went toward things like um, a two-octave frame and then two octaves with a middle note, and we see if that there's consistency in the whole voice. What does that sound like? And, uh, I don't, don't want to hurt anybody. <laughs> so, uh, let's see. That's a two-octave right there. Hmm. So if you're able to, to get a consistent sound, that's just you know easy-sounding, nice, then you toss in the middle note. And you start releasing unnecessary tension that's in what I call the working range. Most people don't use the very, very highest and very, very lowest notes unless maybe you're a jazz singer or you're you know, a world singer or just someone who improvises. Most people use about two octaves at the most, and I call it the working range. And that's where we get a lot of our troubles. We tend to start bearing down on the voice a little bit. Mm. But this this exercise helps you see immediately, well, if I have to release in order to get the highest and the lowest notes, why don't I stay there for the middle notes and see what happens? Mm. And then you're singing with more freedom and you're allowing the body to resonate instead of pressing on the tones, which actually decreases resonation. Wow, we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, Judy... Let me ask, is there a sort of a story, uh, something that's happened to you uh, on stage working with Bobby McFerrin that, that you kind of go back to as a memory or a story that you share with other people? 
Oh my goodness, that's there's the hard question because there would probably be so many. You know, the interesting thing, and this I think is the best way to answer that question. Um, I have story memories that are more off stage with Bobby because we just have a blast. We sing in airports. You know, when when the, we're waiting for our baggage, we tend to start singing songs together. And if we're having dinner at a restaurant, we tend to sing before the night is out. Those are really fun memories. When we're on stage and we're doing catching songs, we're doing circle singing and improvisation. It's so beautiful because you're so involved in the present moment that literally at the end of the show, you're not going to remember most of what you did. Because if you think about it, we're talking about at least 90 minutes of so many different kinds of things going on musically. You might have a memory of one of those songs, maybe. (laughs) But the beauty of it is the energy of being so awake and everyone with you is so awake and in tune to one another. That's that's the best memory I have is just that sense and that feeling like we've just borrowed music from the universe (laughs) And we just gave it back. Judy Vinar is a singer, a conductor, and an educator from the Twin Cities. She's coming to Rochester to collaborate with Bobby McFerrin in a concert on Wednesday, March 4th at Kodak Hall at Eastman Theater. I'm Brenda Tremblay. Thanks to Judy for giving us so much of her time. And thanks to you to listening to this conversation from Classical 91.5 WXXI in Rochester, New York.